Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. Hi, I'm Tim Eggington and I am the Popcaster. In this series, I'll be reviewing music I already know, I love and stan, listening to old classic albums I've never listened to before and see if I can work out why they're classics. And I'll be joined by special guests throughout the series to have a chinwag with me about certain artists and their works. Expect a lot of ABBA, Queen, Britney, Madonna. There may well even be some Kaiser Chiefs for good measure. On this edition of Popcaster, I'll be reviewing the songs on ABBA Gold, track by track. Now I know these ABBA songs like the back of my hand. My first words were probably, where are those happy days? They seem so hard to find. This is the first line sung on the album I played on the turntable from as far back as I can remember. ABBA's greatest hits. My mother credits me for putting her off ABBA through my constant playing of that album though, plus their other LP, The Album, as well as the free tape of nursery rhymes that came with a pack of pampers and Queen's greatest flicks on VHS. I recently learnt that those who call themselves ABBA fans yet only own the compilation I'm about to delve into as Goldies. I've never been a Goldie. I've never lost my love for ABBA in 34 years. Starting school in 1990, two years before the release of ABBA Gold, a lot of my friends at primary school were also children of ABBA fans. And I can remember the twins who brought a ghetto blaster onto the playground to play their tape of ABBA songs. As well as my friend who played an ABBA song in assembly for the whole school to hear. Now, I'd never heard this track before, but I instantly fell in love with it. And that song was I've Been Waiting For You. There was also the friend who, when we were in our early teens, he asked me to clarify the lyrics to Fernando. I'll be honest, even now I'm finding that the, the words I thought were the, 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 the lyrics, they were completely wrong. But I think sometimes that's a... Um, that's 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 just the way that they sing them of course with the the the, the maybe over try, trying to sound english the words just came out slightly wrong but yeah, enough about that the the Abba collection at home consisted of the greatest hits as i mentioned the album super trooper and the visitors Yet I still seem to know the songs from what I'd later find out were from albums like Waterloo, Arrival and Voulez-Vous. I think those albums must have been left behind after the divorces occurred, <laughs> as we only had copies on blank tapes when I was growing up, well, when I was little. My personal abacolette... Per- bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> oh, here we go. I have trouble stringing sentences together usually, but uh, we started early this time. <laughs> So my personal ABBA collection started in 1992 with the video cassettes of ABBA Gold and more ABBA Gold, which I used to play over and over and over again. Um, it was around the same time that Erasure brought out the ABBA SGP, which was a number one in the UK. And I remember I badgered my mum and dad for the videotape of the, the EP because Erasure had done videos for all four of the songs and they were SOS... Lay All Your Love On Me, which that was the first one. And I remember it, it was really creepy. It was it's in a graveyard. The, 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 the body is in the, in the 
coffin and it's open and there's all these ants and stuff crawling all over this dead body. When you when you're five years old and you're watching that, it's a little bit uh vous and take a chance on me where they did a parody of the abba video but uh, andy bell and vince clark were dressed in drag to do the video of course i mean it's erasure so i had i pestered my mum and dad for the video and they bought it for me it was 5.99 from wh smith's in sutton coldville i remember that like it was well <laughs> nearly 30 years ago <laughs> um a couple of weeks later, I was with my sister and her then boyfriend, also called Tim, and we were in the main HMV in Birmingham City Centre, and it was in the oh, the pavilion. I think it was the pavilion shopping centre at the time. You had Virgin Megastore on one side of the entrance to the shopping centre. On the other side, you had HMV. It was massive, like five maybe six floors of stuff this was back when music was like nothing was digital really it was all hard copies of things if you were going to buy them videos games cartridges all that sort of stuff and they had the single or ep if you like of the erasure aberesque ep I didn't realise till later on that there was also a second disc with remixes of the tracks. But I remember I got my sister to buy me the EP as well. And it was one ninety nine. The sticker stayed on that EP the whole time I had it. It's a pity my parents got rid of all the records about 20 years ago. <laughs> it must be more than that, 25 years ago. When they got the CD player in 93, that was it. All the records were gone. Such a shame. I bought another copy since, though, secondhand from eBay. But... So that's, it's nice to bring back some memories and play that occasionally. Um, so, yeah, 1992. The, uh, the videotapes for Abergold and more Abergold. There was the audio cassette the year after of more Abba Gold. Now I got that for five. I don't know why I remember these things. Five ninety nine from a record shop in Chase Terrace near Cannock. There were lots of songs on that album I'd never heard before, like the Post Visitors songs, the new track I'm the City, and several single B sides, including Love Light. And later I'd have copies of Waterloo and the Voice of Abba on tape got that from Devon the latter collection being a compilation of the on the budget label Pickwick of some of Frieda and Agnetta's post ABBA songs then I had Arrival on CD though as I mentioned before I knew a lot of the songs from the blank tapes we had in the car uh, the same went for Voulez Vous now later there was a reissue of Abergold in 1999 but I ended up with <laughs> I ended up when I bought it I finally bought it in 99 so this is like seven years after its original release I ended up getting the it was the glitchy 1992 CD so the original master but it was contained within the 1999 case which had all of Abba's signatures engraved into the disc now that's the copy of Abergold that I have maybe it's because the um there were tracks that I'd not heard before on More Abergold that I favoured owning that one over the main compilation, especially as I didn't regard the the a lot of their main hits at the time when I was little. I wasn't really that into them like the the when they were past their like mega mega peak, like the disco stuff, uh Voulez Vuans that I didn't like that stuff when I was little. Um so I didn't end up buying it till I was thirteen. 
later on my collection grew a little bit more in 2000 for my birthday just before Christmas I had the ABBA singles collection and that was I want to say 32 CD singles and each disc had the A side and B side of the singer it wasn't necessarily the UK release of the single it was whatever whatever country they decided to pick just to make the compilation up and they were all in like little replica uh, 45s but on CD of course that was that's a nice little collection and then 2002 i was working in a pdsa charity shop in burton-on-trent and so it was up to me to price the records that had come in so i priced arrival which had come in uh, there was a slightly battered boney m's greatest hits uh blondie's parallel lines abba's greatest hits volume two and so I made sure that they were all priced at 49p. <laughs> I don't know, one of them might have been 99p. I might have pushed the boat out with one of them. So, <coughs> excuse me, frog in my throat. So that was that. Now, 2005 then, and the Greatest Hits replica CD came out for the 30th anniversary of its original release. And what they'd done for it was they'd used the cover um so the U- the uk the epic greatest hits the epic label um when they brought out greatest hits for the uk it's the infamous park bench photo that you may be aware of and for some reason for the replica cd for the 30th anniversary they used the european version for the cover which was like a a slightly psychedelic sort of painting of all the ABBA members and there were like little gremlins and stuff growing from Bjorn's legs and stuff a little bit spooky but uh, yeah so, so that was uh, the latest edition greatest hits when I was little that was my my album I, every time I listened to the album in that order or I listen to a podcast, uh, not a podcast, a playlist on Spotify of ABBA's original greatest hits in that particular order. It brings back so many memories to when I was little. That was the the record I battered. <laughs> uh, 2006, then we were getting into like proper 30th anniversary territory. There was Arrival uh, that came out with a, uh, that was a CD of the remastered album with like B-sides, bonus tracks, stuff like that, uh, and a DVD with videos from around the time and special clips that would sort of set the trend for the next five six years of reissues from from abba that year they also brought out a dvd abba in concert which consisted mainly of a tv special that was put together in 1980 around the time of abba's europe and north american tour which was their second and last um world ish tour if you like um it's all right it's worth a watch i suppose um it's not something i go to all the time because there isn't an awful lot of dialogue in it and the the quality is a little bit iffy and it's not a proper concert even though it's called abering concert it's not really a proper concert dvd maybe one day we, we will finally get one i mean even even abba the movie if you've seen that there are lots of uh, clips from their shows several of their shows in australia from 1977 but it's not a proper concert dvd maybe we will never get one but maybe if we hold our breath one day we'll get a video version of the recent live at wembley arena or something like that there's got to be a tape somewhere hanging around in someone's someone's uh, 
loft or something that they can remaster. Um, my first ABBA download. No, I didn't get my first MP3 player till my 21st birthday. It came with my first computer. We didn't have a computer in the house, so I had to go to the library or go to the college computes if I wanted to do anything online. So it took to 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 one of the records that I grew up with from from a very very small age small age like 18 months my mum reckons um there was that I bought the DVDs of Abba the movie which had just come out and the 30th anniversary deluxe CD of the album as well again the same as the arrival 30th it was the main album a couple of bonus tracks and the DVD of stuff from from around the time promos and things like that 2009 i bought abba in japan now that's quite cool i didn't know an awful lot about abba's time in japan and the period like 1978 79 they went over to japan for a very short period like maybe a fortnight or so and they did so well on telly just as they had whenever they had promo videos playing uh like in australia where they suddenly blew up on the back of a promo video the same thing happened in japan a few years on from the australia events abomania all that and they were absolutely huge voulez-vous was the first album really that that kicked their japanese sales off in uh, in in the far east and there's a whole dvd uh, with uh, the tv one of the tv specials that they did in japan along with a lot of other a lot of other stuff from that time 2010 the voulez vu reissue a little bit out of sync with the 30 year thing because it was like nearly 31 by this point same thing cd dvd uh, 2011 the super trooper reissue and then 2012 the visitors the final studio album to date was reissued and that was quite special because as well as the cd and dvd as per all the other discs the uh, the reissue also included a medley of different versions of a track from that album called like an angel passing through my room and it's like a nine minute edit that benny put together so the listener can hear the progression of the creation of the song from the initial sort of starts like a twinkle twinkle little star sort of uh, tune lyric from bjorn and it progresses into what becomes the final product which is Frida doing a very light sort of um well it sort of come, comes full circle and it almost twinkle twinkle little star but with a slightly darker lyric same year definitive collection uh, that was one of the many compilations that came out on the back of the successive Abergold and it was a two CD set with all of the singles and like album tracks stuff like that and also a DVD with all of the promo videos that I'd already had on on the Abergold VHSs from 20 years before and extra tracks like Spanish language versions um, now Gracias por la Musica is one of the albums I don't own of Abba or Abba Oro which is essentially the same thing but with a different title uh 2016 
we then start the 40th anniversary process and there was Waterloo as well that came out um, Ring Ring and Waterloo came out as deluxe editions in time for the 40th anniversaries which was a little bit weird but maybe because they were the least successful albums they were sort of not necessarily an afterthought but they weren't the at the top of Universal Records reissue master plan for Abba's back catalogue so they came out I bought those of course like all the others uh, but then 2016 comes along and we're back to yet another milestone the 40th anniversary of the releases uh, of the big albums so this time they're, they're now being, being brought out as of 2020 we've now had the 40th anniversary half mass, half speed mastered vinyls from Abbey Road Studios so the the single discs are now the content is now spread over two discs so they take each track takes more room on the record so in effect more data is being kept on the record it's not being lost through compression so they're supposed to give superior audio quality compared to the originals that is up for debate that's not what this podcast is about this is just a um this part of the podcast is just an overview of my personal abba collection uh, so i've bought a lot of the the i bought all the 40th anniversary half speed masters so far we've had arrival in 2016 the album in 2017 and then vu last year 2019 and a lot of the picture discs of the related singles so they are i'm just looking at them now they're all sort of dotted around my uh, room that i'm speaking in now uh, this year we've had the reissue of Live at Wembley Arena, which was the first time that a proper full ABBA concert had been put onto disc. And it was originally issued in 2014, uh, and I never bothered with it because I always thought ABBA Live, the bits I've heard, do I really want to listen to a whole disc of ABBA Live? Because they are definitely, to me, very much studio they're a studio group they're not a live group they're, they're very good when they're live um, and I've grown to appreciate them more now but I would rather hear all the studio trick and I mean that that's probably why they didn't do many tours I think they've said it themselves they are a, they, they're a, a studio group they're not live performers that's one of the reasons why they probably don't want to do another tour now and they'd rather have computer generated versions of themselves go on tour for them so I did end up buying the Live at Wembley Arena triple vinyl release when it came out earlier in 2020, as well as I've got on pre-order at the moment the the uh, collection of the albums on coloured vinyl. So that was due to come out in a couple of weeks' time, July the 3rd, but apparently, for some reason, it's been pushed back to the 24th of July, but that may be to do with, I don't know... Um, more demand than they were expecting uh maybe coronavirus has messed up the record pressing plants production um speed uh, who knows but that is from what i can remember my abba collection um so the only album that i don't actually own no I don't think I have Ring Ring I've listened to it enough on Spotify and stuff I did buy it once when I was 7 or 8 I took it back because I thought it was crap at the time I mean I still jokingly like when people ask me about ABBA and stuff so like, oh I'm an absolute ABBA nut I even have the crap early stuff 
I'm doing them a disservice because even though some of the tracks are a bit cringy from earlier on, like King Kong Song, I can't stomach that. Uh, <laughs> um, or their very I am just a girl. La, da, 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 da. It's a little bit oh, oh, cringe. Um, I can appreciate them more now that I'm in my, now that I'm in my thirties. We'll just say that. So that's an overview of the. Um, collection of ABBA music that I own and the, the various media that I that I own of ABBA so let's look at ABBA Gold then so not really it doesn't really need much of an introduction I mean it's sold about 30 million copies worldwide since its release in 1992 it is the second biggest selling album in the UK only uh, Queen's Greatest Hits Volume 1 is ahead of them uh, however Queen have had what they had 11 years extra to build up the 1 million sales that they're ahead but still I think it's on 5.4 million copies now Abergold so that's, that's pretty good going for a group that were at abs- absolute rock bottom in popularity by 1982 everyone was just like yeah right ta it's very weird I don't think anyone really understands why their popularity suddenly went from number one number one number one to number 32 for one of their greatest songs like the day before you came but that's that's for another podcast let's go through the 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 track listing here we so we we kick off with their their biggest hit you couldn't not start uh an abba uh, uh, uh an, an album like this they're, they're great it's when it's not in chronological order or anything you're going to start with Dancing Queen aren't you uh, it was inspired by George McRae's 1974 number one hit Rock Your Baby the first time Frida heard that backing track that Benny put together she apparently had tears in her eyes it was track number two on arrival so we started with When I Kissed the Teacher and then we go into Dancing Queen it had actually been recorded over a year before its eventual release it was their only US number one but it was their fourth UK number one out of nine they were on a bit of a roll and this uh, this was just this was I think this was was in it would have been four in a row or three in a row I'm thinking now they had Waterloo that was number one okay so then they had the success with SOS I'll come back to that to SOS shortly then they brought out Mamma Mia that was number one Fernando that was number one then Dancing Queen that was number one so they had three number ones in a row and so they were on a bit of a roll now following up Dancing Queen another track taken from Arrival the the album had been released in time for Christmas 1976 and was their first studio album to reach number one in the UK uh, following the success of the British variation of the uh, Greatest Hits album that I mentioned earlier on that I played to death and would lead to me putting my mum off ABBA for well until now um that album itself would actually become the biggest selling album of the 1970s in Britain after Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water 
And funny thing is, it's called Greatest Hits, but Greatest Hits only consisted of five UK hits. The other ten tracks were either tracks from the then unreleased in Britain album Ring Ring, or were minor international single successes. Um, not an awful lot to say about those those tracks. I mean, of course, knowing me, knowing you, was the uh, the thing that Alan Partridge would parody, and he even had his own TV show. Knowing me, knowing you, aha! And that became his catchphrase. I do love a bit of Alan Partridge. I don't know about you, but yeah, when I, when I was younger, when I was little, the the massive hits they they didn't really seem to to do an awful lot for me I, and I certainly don't think Dancing Queen's their best song and I just I know it sounds really snobby but if I hear someone saying that their favourite ABBA song is Dancing Queen I just think oh you're just a local um, it just just no they've done so much better than Dancing Queen um, for example track 3 on ABBA Gold Take a Chance on Me now, although it only reached number three in the US on the Hot 100, it's classed in some surveys as a bigger success on the charts overall than Dancing Queen, which was their only number one in the country. I think the sales were quite similar as well. Take a Chance on Me might have sold a little bit more in, in America. Uh, now, the overwhelming number of pre-orders of its parent album caused the release of of that album to be de- delayed in the UK from December 1977 to February 1978 so it coincided with the release of this single it would be the last time that ABBA would have a number one single in the UK for over two and a half years now bearing in mind that they were only be, their, their first number one well if we ignore Waterloo because that was a that was like a it looked like a blip they were still one hit wonders until SOS in 75 and then Mamma Mia hit number one in 76 I think it, if we class 76 as the beginning of the period where ABBA were really on a roll through to 81 when their last top three hit was one of us so in the space of just six years when two and a half of those six years you haven't had a number one single and this is a group that is is probably bigger now than they were then in terms of uh, record sales and the the way that they're regarded now in in general um it's 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 mind-boggling to me that they went with such a big gap between number ones in the uk now, the single and album's promotion was further boosted by the phenomenal success of the Christmas release of ABBA the movie. Now, it it sort of had a, sta- I say, staggered release. It was, it was massive in the UK, uh, massive in certain countries in Europe. Australia, they'd already started, they'd gone from ABBA mania in the beginning of 76 to meh the end of 1977 when the film primarily shot in Australia during the concert tour they'd done not even 12 months before it just its crazy how the popularity waned so badly uh, talking about uh, Abba the movie a little bit so the film as I said it's essentially the it's like a documentary I think the idea originally was that it was just going to be a documentary film of of ABBA doing their Australian 
tour but someone thought it'd be a good idea to weave in a sort of plot so in comes the radio interviewer played by Robert Hughes who is set a task of interviewing ABBA before they leave Australia and the film is essentially this this guy is is traveling across Australia trying to get access to ABBA and all the things he tries to do to get hold of them and he just cannot do it and just as he's about to give up and just handing his cards because he knows he's going to get the sack um, he goes into the lift and who should be in the lift ABBA and he gets his interview with them and all's well that ends well until about 35 years later when Robert Hughes is outed as a pervert but anyway that's that's another that's another story if you can look past that and just watch the film for what it is then good on you i still haven't been able to watch it since i found out that Robert Hughes was a convicted felon um for the stuff that he did with kids i'm not gonna go <laughs> talk about that anymore but i would like to watch it but i just haven't found myself comfortable enough to 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 want to again until i might watch it again now so like after doing this it sort of made me think it would be quite nice to to watch abba the movie again because i used to watch it loads when i was little um so this uh, Take a Chance on Me it was one of the songs that Erasure covered for that Aberesque EP as well as I mentioned earlier on so yeah that's that's one of my favourites Take a Chance on Me that's that's like one of their first their first sort of uh, dalliances with a more disco-y sort of sound to me I suppose it's a it's still got that Dancing Queen sort of rhythm track to it but just a little bit more of a kick to it um next track is Mamma Mia of course the song which provided the title for the stage production and movie franchise uh, I've never seen the musical I'm not a massive musicals fan per se however the film when the first film came out in 2008 I went to see it five times now the fifth time um, was legitimately for research purposes because I'd started a radio degree in Cardiff and we had to put together i had to pair up with someone in my new group of <coughs> friends uh, my course mates i'll say loosely and pair up with one of them and put together a, a short piece of radio material if you like and so i suggested why don't we do a review of mamma mia and then record people's reactions after the film <laughs> And that's what we did. So by the time I'd seen the the film the fifth the fifth time in the cinema, I already knew the the dialogue almost word for word. It was a very easy film to remember, um, a very nice film, very cringy in parts. I mean, Pierce Brosnan singing, Ugh. no, 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 not happening for me. Colin Firth, on the other hand he could serenade me whenever he wanted Christine Baranski she's like the Mamma Mia equivalent of Samantha Jones from Sex and the City Julie Walters she's from My Neck of the Woods she is the queen of comedy well it's certainly West Midlanders when it comes to comedy I love her Jasper Carrot um, 
<laughs> Ozzy Osbourne, you could call him a bit of a comedian. And like, I love you, Simon. I love you more than life itself. Well, you're all fucking mad. But that's probably for another, uh, probably for another podcast. So yeah, I've seen the film quite a lot. Um, now the song "Mamma Mia" was the first number one single after their Eurovision one-hit wonder write-off period. Um, during which time they carried on building their profile in Europe, at least with doing tours of. Well, they was they were getting they were doing quite well in mainland Europe and in Sweden they were already known pre ABBA in their solo ventures or their previous groups. Benny and Bjorn had already teamed up with ABBA's manager Stig Anderson before ABBA was even a thing, um, writing and recording songs for for other artists or for themselves perhaps. Um, so. Yeah, it was it was a, a funny time. After post Waterloo, they were not huge in the UK, and I think it was only the the fluke playing of videos in Australia that the UK really started. Like the the radio promoters, the record label in the UK really started to pay attention when Australia jumped on the ABBA machine, uh, or if you can if you can use that that term. So. Yeah, Mamma Mia was the first single then that was really... They were really getting some proper success in the... I mean, Bjorn, I believe, even said that they gauged their success on how big the single was in the UK. Because at the time, the UK music market was... That was the the market you, you wanted to do well in. Because at one time, the U, citizens in the UK had a bit of common sense. Now, that has gone down the toilet over the last 50 years. Um, again, that's probably for another podcast and each to their own. So, I'll move swiftly on. Mamma Mia actually replaced itself... At the, uh, the 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 lyrics Mamma Mia replaced themselves at the top of the UK singles chart as well because prior to this song being number one Bohemian Rhapsody had spent nine weeks on the on top of the UK singles chart was the Christmas number one in 1975 and of course it's got that line Mamma Mia Mamma Mia let me go and so it was unusual for for a phrase like Mamma Mia to just happen to be on a number one single or two different songs back to back one replacing the other at number one funny uh, funny little factoid there if you're ever in a pub quiz uh, Mamma Mia at the time was a song taken from their self-titled third album which would eventually reach number 13 in the UK so moving on to track number five lay all your love on me was the third and final single from super trooper and was released as a limited edition 12 inch single in the uk and became the biggest selling single on that format at that time it wasn't long though before it was replaced uh, that record was uh, beaten uh, and this time it was by new orders blue monday now whether that's still the biggest selling 12 inch single in the UK um, I couldn't tell you but um, it's strange that a song like Lay All Your Love On Me would be the fifth track on the album it certainly shows a lot of 
uh, care was put into the the, the, the the track listing, the order of the track listing for a song that would only hit number seven in the UK in the their sort of main focal point when it came to chart success that they'd put Lay All Your Love On Me as track number five out of 19 songs, some of which are uh, much bigger all over the world. I don't think Lay All Your Love On Me even had a full release anywhere else in the world. It certainly wasn't rushed out as a UK single because the album Super Trooper had already been out for eight months by the time that this single was released. It always feels like a bit of a an afterthought. There was no... Uh, there was nothing out in June 81 to really coincide with its release nothing to uh, like co-promote it or anything so and even the the video for it is clips of other clips from other ABBA promos so very very strange but also amazing that it would still hit number seven given that there was no promo done for it essentially and then it was from an album that had done better than their previous album Voulez-Vous and would be their biggest selling actually their biggest selling album since Arrival back in 1976 so very strange very strange that one but it's one of my favourite singles now it was never one that I really paid attention to until more recent years and now it's one of my favourites I've actually done an extended mix of it on my YouTube channel uh, but I managed to mess it up and I deleted it by accident <laughs> so um there we are. Um, then we move on to the title track from the Super Trooper album it was the second single from the album and they already had the album title before the song was even written and recorded. It's very strange. Um, originally, now if you've seen the, or if you own a copy of the Super Trooper album, then you may well be familiar with the cover of the album and it's circus themed. Originally, the idea was to close um, Oxford Circus off in London and do a photo shoot with all circus um, characters and it ultimately wasn't to be they weren't allowed to do it they couldn't close that part of London off to do a photo shoot even if they were ABBA the biggest export after Ikea that didn't matter um, they still weren't allowed to do it so rather than scrap the idea altogether they found a big warehouse in Stockholm and did it there instead perfect uh, the video for Super Trooper actually shows like behind the scenes footage or uh, video of the day of the photo shoot so that's quite cool to watch um, the song that lost its place on the album Super Trooper after the recording of the song of the same name was one that was called Put On Your White Sombrero now funnily enough it wouldn't even end up as a b-side to a single even um either rather uh though the the waltz uh the and its chord structure would be recycled and rehashed for the 1982 b-side to the day before you came which was called cassandra so it wasn't all lost and of course put on your white sombrero would finally see a light of day when cds came along because there was room for it so it is a bonus track on later editions of super trooper the like the deluxe editions and the remasters so you can hear it it's it's all right it's it's got some nice harmonies some nice high harmonies towards the end when anietta joins in on a primarily uh frida 
uh, solo song. Uh, and then we move on to I Have a Dream. Uh, probably the least ABBA sounding single since their one of class Imperial phase began and I have to be in the right mood to listen to it it's a bit granny-ish for me uh, it was the fifth single release from Voulez Vous and it still managed to make number two during the difficult Christmas single sales period the song finally made the UK number one 20 years later though as the final chart topper of the millennium when Westlife released it as a double A side with a cover of Terry Jack's 1974 song Seasons in the Sun uh, the the ABBA single was backed with a live version of Take a Chance on Me from Wembley Arena, which may have helped its British sales. And, you know, now, the song that kept it off the Christmas number one was Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. And that's the only single that they've ever had go to number one, because Pink, Pink Floyd weren't big single releases. And maybe that's the reason why that single was so big because it was like what Pink Floyd are releasing a single after buy this this might not happen again so maybe the uh, the Pink Floyd fans they they thought they got to do what they can to get this band to number one and it just um, it was too much for the ABBA juggernaut to be able to topple that time but still good on them number two in the Christmas period uh, 1979 itself was a massive year for single sales so they must have been uh they must have been quite happy with a number two single over over that period. Next up, we've got The Winner Takes It All. As well as being the follow-up single to I Have a Dream, it was also their first UK number one since Take a Chance on Me in February 1978, which was two and a half years prior, as I'd mentioned before. It's often claimed to have been written by Bjorn about his divorce from Agnetta the year before. He reckons it wasn't. However, he has acknowledged it may have been subconsciously a factor. Bear in mind, though, he was supposedly pissed when he wrote the song. And by 1980, he'd already been married to his second wife, Lena, for a year. So Agnetta may not have been at the forefront of his mind anymore anyway. Certainly hope not anyway. (laughs) The song is often considered their greatest song uh, by more critical people than, say, the the average Joe who would probably say Dancing Queen or the, the Goldies would probably say Dancing Queen is the best ABBA song. Uh, critics tend to often go for for this one, though, for, for The Winner Takes It All. I'm a bit nonplussed by the song to be honest it's it's all right but again i've got to be in the right frame of mind to listen to it it's got a it's got a sort of disco-y beat to it uh, a little bit faster than what super trooper would be but it, it lacks something that that super trooper has i'm not sure what it is but i don't know maybe i'm not that into the 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 there being so much of a lyric does that make sense well it's it's it is what it is and there's something about it maybe it's because there aren't there isn't so much going on in like with vocal harmonies stuff like that super troop has a lot of vocal harmonies it's richer i think um saying that though I love the day before you came and that's quite a sort of storytelling sort of lyric um, that, there's a lot of 
lyricism going on in that and that's one of my favorite abba songs period so very strange very strange but anyway it is what it is money money money's next that's the song that broke abba's first string of back-to-back chart toppers in the uk so they'd scored four out of four with the run of mamma mia fernando dancing queen and knowing me knowing you and they had to settle with number three for the final single from their biggest selling studio album arrival now maybe the sales of Arrival particularly over Christmas 1976 which had recently passed was to the detriment of the single's success but it was handy that ABBA had promo videos made for each single by this point as they'd be in Australia on tour um, and being filmed for their movie when the single hit record shops in early 77 anyway one memory I have of Money 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 was when I was little I was in the Boys Brigade and I was in Burntwood Boys... Oh, what did they call it now? Burntwood Boys Brigade 2 or Burntwood 2nd or something. I, I can't remember now. I was with the Boys Brigade for, I think, seven years. The only reason why I stopped was because one night when we'd moved to Burton and I was going to Burton-on-Trent Boys Brigade, the, the leader who had taken us swimming he decided he was going to drop one of my friends off who also went to Boys Brigade. He was going to drop him off by driving down the one-way street he lived off the wrong way. Um, And he crammed about five of us into the back of his car to drive us there. As soon as my mother found out, I didn't go back to Boys Brigade again. (laughs) Oh dear, anyway, back to the story. So we had a marching band at the Burntwood Boys Brigade. I didn't play a didn't play an instrument still can't really play an instrument now um but the band when we went on the boys brigade marches every um every so often on a sunday we'd be going through burntwood village while the band played money 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 which i thought was great because i was an absolute abba nut when i was like seven eight years old and for the band to play an abba song that was brilliant so yeah there we are money 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 story and the burntwood boys brigade band i wonder whether they still do that now like 30 years on (laughs) interesting if you know anyone who is involved with burntwood boys brigade do let me know uh so we're about halfway through the album now and we're on to sos now abba had been in their post eurovision slump for 18 months by the time sos was released Australian Abermania and the videos um, that were shown on Countdown were all going on. Countdown was the like Australia's version of like um, a cross between, I suppose, CD UK, Top of the Pops, back when there wasn't music television. So you'd have like a, a, a TV show with promos and stuff like that and this was the australian version countdown and they'd been sent a video with four promos from abba um they were able to play those videos without abba having to perform the songs themselves in a studio in australia they just had the videos posted to them and the success of those four songs was so huge that all of a sudden overnight abba were the biggest thing since sliced bread um british radio was now finally paying attention because of this success in australia and this was at the time that sos was coming out um they'd had a number of misses 
by this point since Waterloo they'd attempted success with Honey Honey uh, the 1974 remix of Ring Ring and uh, there was I do I do I do I do I do and so long so why did all of these songs after they'd had a number one with Waterloo why did these follow ups flop so let's have a look Honey Honey was released after Waterloo so that ABBA could show a different softer side from the glam rock stylings of Waterloo but I mean if you listen to it it's all, it's all very nice it's, um, uh, of course it's it's in it's early on in the first Mamma Mia film as well maybe it was a bit too schmaltzy for 1974 Ring Ring that was originally recorded for the 1973 Eurovision Song Contest but they only made third place in the Melody Festivalen which is the selection process for the Eurovision entry in Sweden now although the audience was the most enthusiastic towards Ring Ring out of all the entrants put forward the jury had other ideas as to who they wanted representing Sweden on the European stage and of course it all happened for a good reason in the end but it was still felt that Ring Ring would be good enough for a UK and US single release if it was slowed down ever so slightly and had saxophone overdubs and extra vocal effects applied to the original mix They were wrong, however, and it actually sounds badly out of tune and pretty screechy. However, if you're curious, it can be found as a bonus track on the digital version of the Waterloo album, should you wish to have a listen. I probably wouldn't because it's pretty bad. The original Ring Ring, though, is one of my favourites of Abba's, so a bit of a shame, really, that it wasn't considered good enough in the first place. Uh, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. That was one of the songs which received the promo video treatment uh, in Australia with these four with these four promo videos, and they were created by future movie director Lasse Halstrom. He's the guy who did Chocola. Um, he also did. I know I'm, I'm missing one really big film that he did. Completely gone out of my head. Um, but yeah, this was one of the songs that was on the the, vi- the the four video promo thing. And it would be the playing of all four of these promos on Countdown, which would kick off what would become ABBA's transition period from European folk park giggers to global superstars. And it also features in a memorable scene in Muriel's Wedding, because if you've seen Muriel's Wedding, the, 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 it's a hilarious film. And it's uh, essentially this girl, Muriel Heslop. She's Australia. It's set in Australia. And she's an absolute ABBA nut and she imagines her wedding and I do I do I do is playing as she's walking down the aisle actually I think that actually happens in the film she's walking down the aisle while that song's playing it's 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 quite cringy but in a funny way now I think those songs flopped at the time because they they really had to prove that they could be more than just a Eurovision gimmick in the UK, which was, as I said earlier on, it was considered the pop capital of the world, the UK, and it was a thing not ignored by Benny and Bjorn, who didn't consider themselves to have really become successful until they were on a roll in the UK charts, which happened in late 1975, and it seems to me that their record label was throwing anything at the proverbial wall to see what stuck but nobody needed more Honey Honey Saccharin or badly mixed versions of Neil Siddhartha co-writes uh, a la Ring Ring 
or the almost cabaret stylings of I do, I do, I do. It turned out what the UK really warmed to was dramatic ice cool verses with sad soap opera lyrics and minor chords aplenty, followed by a powerful multi-layered chorus with often morose lyrics topping a joyous melody. It'd be uh, the winning ABBA formula then until they started to want to leave the group behind in 1981. Moving on, Chikatita. Now, the previous single to this was the Rush-released Summer Night City. That was issued in September 1978, following a slight panic from ABBA's record distributors that there had been no new product since the Take a Chance on Me single eight months prior. However, this was the only available material recorded, further proven by the fact that the B-side to the single would be a remixed version of a medley of old folk songs the group recorded for a German charity album way back in 1975. And Summer Night City was not the hit ABBA had had become accustomed to by this period in their career. It struggled up the UK chart to a peak of just number five, which was their lowest charting single since I Do, I Do, I Do again in 75 the boys have often stated they weren't happy with the outcome of the single after several attempts to make it something that they would consider good enough to stand alongside their other smash hits the single would ultimately not end up on abba gold nor on their next album voulez vous seven months later so it's uh, <laughs> its fate was sealed Now, feeling the writer's block, Benny and Bjorn flew to the Bahamas for creative inspiration and came back with some new material for 1979. In the meantime, Chikatita was released with the proceeds to this day going to UNICEF. In fact, Cher has just recorded and released the her version of the song, sung in Spanish. She'd originally done the English version for her album Dancing Queen a couple of years ago. She's just done a Spanish language version and all the proceeds from the single are still going to UNICEF 41 years later. It would also be the first single since the announcement of Bjorn and Agnetta's separation. Now, maybe the thought of single buyers not getting any more ABBA music if the group was then going to split up as well, coupled with the song being for charity, it was probably one of the contributors to the song's success, not taking away the quality of it, of course. Out of the two ballads to be released from the Voulez-Vous period, this one's far superior. And Chikatita would go on to be one of the biggest selling singles in South America and would inspire the release of Gracias por la Musica in 1980. Now, this album was seen as more of a throwaway by the boys. The production of this album of Spanish language versions of 10 of their hits was left to their engineer and arguably the creator of the ABBA sound, Michael B. Tretto, and the girls while the boys went away to write for the Super Trooper album, only returning to the studio for their vocal overdubs. So, Gracias Pula Musica would later be re-released as Abba Oro, as I mentioned earlier on. Uh, It would consist of the same ten songs, but in a different order. And the fans have speculated that... The original inca- incarnation of Gracias Pula Musical may receive a 40th anniversary treatment like their other albums that I mentioned earlier have to date. But I don't think the demand is likely to be there, though, beyond like the mega, mega Abba collector. 
and if we're to believe beyond this time round, we'll still have the new ABBA material to come before 2020's out. And, of course, we've got the 40th anniversary reissue of Super Trooper, which has been all but confirmed by ABBA's people, and the release of their English-language studio albums on coloured vinyl in July. So there's a lot of re-releases already, so I don't think they they'd push it any further. Another one with a bit of a Spanishy sort of title and a name. Uh, I think Chiquitita stands for little bird or something like that in Spanish. We're now moving on to the next track, which is Fernando. Fernando was released on the back of the successful run of hits in Europe, Australia and the UK. And it coincided with the release of their various hits compilations issued at the end of 1975 and beginning of 1976. It managed to become a feature on some of these compilations, including UK editions of Greatest Hits. However, the very first pressings were made too soon for it to feature the track. The next batch did have Fernando tacked on to the end of side two, but the sleeve hadn't been updated yet, so instead a sticker was slapped on this batch to mention the addition of what was then the current hit single. Now this is the al- this is the version of the album that introduced me to ABBA when I was a toddler. Um, Mum, as I said earlier, my mum tells me I was about 18 months old when I started my ABBA obsession, which I can understand because as far as my memory goes, I can recall her going, oh no, not again, whenever I put Greatest Hits or ABBA the album on the turntable for the umpteenth time. Saying that, I'm not a massive fan of this particular song. It sounds very much of its time in a way that most of their other songs have managed to avoid. It's just dated quite badly as far as I'm concerned. In 1976, though, it was absolutely huge, becoming ABBA's third number one, sitting in between Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen, and it broke records in Australia, being being on top of the charts for 14 weeks. Good going, ABBA. I think it's only recently been broken by that horrendous song by Tones and I... Um, the the monkey song it's oh dreadful dreadful I so I do feel a bit sorry for Fernando actually um, okay we get towards the end of Abergold now and we're doing the disco-y sort of songs if you like uh, voulez-vous when looking at the charts and sales stats of Abba's, sing- Abba's singles, it's easy to understand why most of the blatantly and uh, incorrectly labelled disco Abba songs are tagged onto the second half of this compilation. I think perhaps the writer's block of 1978 was the reason they thought it best to jump on the on the disco bandwagon. They were just too, ever so slightly too late to the party though. Following the saturation of the genre in 1977 and 78, with the main successes from this period being anything linked to the Bee Gees and Saturday Night Fever, Boney M, Donna Summer, all that. The irony being that the new big hitters admitted to being heavily inspired by ABBA themselves, such as Elvis Costello, who blew up himself in 1979, and none of ABBA's 79 singles hit number one. These were Chikatita, Does Your Mother Know, The Double A Side of Voulez-Vu and Angel Eyes, Gimme Gimme Gimme, and I Have a Dream. However, they all still hit the top four, so they still all did better than Summer Night City had done the year before. Now, 1978 
as well was the year with the most physical single sales in the UK since records began. So maybe therefore by 1979 people were experiencing a bit of ABBA fatigue. Uh, certainly seems to have been the case in places like Australia where ABBA mania was dead in the water. But it wasn't all bad news, though, as ABBA had another number one album in various countries, including the UK, with Voulez-Vous' parent album. The sales were considerably down on their previous uh, albums, the album and Arrival, which experienced sales of over a million each just in this country alone. Uh, Voulez-Vous did about 700,000, which I suppose, (laughs) when you think of record sales today, where you can get to number one on, like, 7,000 sales I suppose 700,000 over its career isn't anything to be sniffed at now in terms of the single I said it was a double A side with Angel Eyes now Angel Eyes was not considered an A side in most countries but was promoted to such with the album's title track in one single in the UK this is possibly due to Angel Eyes being the bigger radio hit of the two tracks Another example, I suppose, of how the disco sound of Voulez-Vous was being somewhat snubbed in favour of the uh, possibly refreshing yet almost retro 60s girl group doo-woppy sound of Angel Eyes here in the UK. Now, as the UK charts were the main focal point where uh, when compilers were putting Abigail's tracklist together, it's odd that one of their biggest UK radio hits would be relegated to the, I suppose, afterthought release of More Abigold, which came out in 1993, following the unexpected sales of Abigold. But back to the song Voulez-Vous, this is the song that had its backing track completely recorded in the Bahamas, which was notable because it was the first time they'd not recorded ABBA material completely in Sweden. It was also just months after work had been completed on their own state-of-the-art Polar Studios in the Swedish capital. It was also one of the few occasions where their usual backing band was replaced with another band. This time, a group called Foxy played most of the instruments. They had achieved their own success in 1978 with the song Get Off, which was a Billboard chart topper, uh, and it also achieved number nine on the Hot 100. Now, I didn't like this song when I was little, and I know we only had it on what is now referred to as a mixtape in the car. Maybe my parents' first spouses kept the original records, but I think it was the sound of the sax, an instrument I still don't love 30 plus years since first hearing the song. And maybe the vocal stylings of the girls, it's almost like they're telling me off or something as they're singing the verses. Um, Maybe that's what put me off at the time, but I've grown to love the song more in recent years, particularly after acquiring uh, the extended mix, which is on the deluxe CD edition of the album. Um, That came out in 2010. Now, as the gay has come out to me more with age and a discovery of like Studio 54-esque dance music, the appreciation of a dirty disco rhythm section in a song has also developed. So I've taken quite a liking to it now. Now, in terms of the charts, the single hit number three in the UK, even though it featured two A-sides. Now, maybe the record-buying public at the time were put off by such differently styled offerings available on on the, the one-track's 
flip side to it uh, it, it was also worth considering that the album was already out with both of these A-sides on it so there was nothing new to entice fans to buy the single if they'd already bought the the album as well so I think um, yeah by this point Abba Mania was, was, was well and truly over until well except for like Japan as I mentioned earlier on now Abba's notable latter day disco gems were Lay All Your Love On Me and I personally think The Visitors that that could be a disco a, 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 could that could come under the, the disco banner personally in actual fact, the only disco songs on their so-called disco album, Voulez Vu, were really the first song, As Good As New, uh, its title track, and If It Wasn't For The Nights, which was planned to be a single itself until they favoured their more ABBA-like Spanish-flavoured recording, Chiquitita. They even performed an early version of If It Wasn't For The Nights on their Japanese TV special, uh, which is on the DVD ABBA in Japan. And on Mike Yarwood's Christmas special in 1978, he was a comedian on BBC One at the time. I think the relegation of this song for a mid-tempo folksy song further shows that although they were happy to flirt with disco, ABBA were never going to become Sweden's Bee Gees of the late 70s. It really took until after Voulez-Vous had been mined of its up-tempo singles and the brand new recording Gimme 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 A Man After Midnight for ABBA to really hit the disco nail on the uh, on the head at the tail end of 1979, a time when a basic disco track wasn't, wasn't going to cut it. The Disco Sucks movement was in full force and the market had been saturated with disco for a good couple of years by this point. A new wave and synth pop was emerging as the force du jour. But what does Gimme 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 have that earlier attempts at the genre don't? Well, firstly, it has that ear, uh, ear war earworm keyboard riff from, from Benny that would become the focal point of Madonna's career resurrecting single Hung Up. It has a real string section which enriches the music alongside Benny's new toy at the time, the Yamaha GX1 synthesizer. There's a pulsing bass line which is bolstered by Michael B. Tretto's clever little effect of processing the instrument ever so slightly out of tune without becoming sort of dissonant. Um, this would be an effect that essentially made ABBA sound different to their contemporaries at the time. The lyric was also a bit racier than was typical up to that point for ABBA, suggesting having a liaison with a random stranger late at night. Sometimes the suggestive lyricism in later ABBA songs didn't work, though. For example, Bjorn singing about a man who calls a Lonely Hearts number and ends up being offered a threesome with a woman and her mother. C2 for the price of one. Also, one may raise an eyebrow or two at another Bjorn recited lyric in the form of Does Your Mother Know, which happens to be the next track on Abba Gold. Would a song about a man in his mid-thirties literally saying he is happy to flirt with a child be acceptable if it was a new single released in the 2020s? Now, it would be the first and last time that Bjorn would be the lead singer on an ABBA single in the UK, and it seems the British public weren't quite sure what to make of this turn-up for the books, as it would be the lowest-charting single from Voulez-Vous reaching just number four in the run-up to the release of the album. So it was number four, and the album hadn't even come out, so not looking good, not looking good for Bjorn singing ABBA songs. 
It would also be the first lead single since So Long in 1975 that hadn't hit the top spot in the UK. Okay, so one of us. Following the release of Super Trooper in 1980 and the the announcement of Frieda and Benny's divorce shortly after, all was quiet on the Western Front in comparison to previous years. The only notable group activity during 1981 was an appearance on Dick Cavett's show in April, where the US chat show host flew to Sweden to interview the group and hear them perform new and old songs. Uh, There was a performance at their manager Stig Anderson's 50th birthday party and the 12-inch release that summer of Lay All Your Love On Me. The group finally returned in November with a new single and album release at the same time, probably to get in while the Christmas shopping period was in full swing. Things were starting to sound and look a bit darker and moodier. The album was The Visitors, and it's considered by many ABBA fans, including myself, as their greatest body of work, which is in contrast to the attitude towards the group of the time of the releases. It's very strange. It, it's sold around 600,000 copies in the UK. Again, nothing to be sniffed at all. Um, but it was certainly a massive drop compared to... So they, they'd been sort of waxing and waning ever so slightly after their Abermania peak of 76, 77, early 78, Vu they'd taken a dip, but Super Trooper, they were bigger than they'd been in a good few years. And then all of a sudden, they'd gone from doing joyous music to, well, the visitors. Uh, but we'll talk about more uh, the visitors more in, a, in another podcast as a whole. But one of us would be the last single to really do anything well in the UK. It hit number three during the 1981 Christmas period. So, and, it, and the song, the sort of songs that were keeping it from the top spot, I mean, we're talking stuff like uh, Don't You Want Me, which was a massive million seller for the Human League. Um, there's an, another massive song that's completely gone out of my head. But hitting number three really at that time considering the other songs that were were also out uh the end of 81 actually they were doing all right and the album still hit number one it stayed in the uk album chart for nearly five months so it wasn't a complete flop or anything but i think everyone in the abba camp was starting to think maybe we should take a bit of a break yes something wasn't allowing them to completely switch off so they carried on releasing singles through 1982 and none of them did particularly well in the uk for some strange reason maybe it was this continuing fatigue that super Tro- the super trooper album had been a bit of a blip it had it had enabled them to carry on being big just a little bit longer but then that was it enough was enough and 82 was the cutoff point for for abba as a successful full um, uh, going concern at the time the name of the game is the third to last song on Abergold and it was the first song from the the album called the album and it was after their massive arrival period they 
just done their Australian tour. They were at the top of their game. The This song actually hit number one in September 1977, and it was top of the charts for five weeks. However, the single isn't one of their biggest sellers either. So maybe 77 was just a bit of a... Uh, lull pit like the calm before the disco storm of 78 but it's it's a good it's one of my favorite abba singles the name of the game it's not one of the ones that many people really think of though but it's a nice mid-tempo you get the feeling that the album is gonna be a little bit more um in tune with what was big at the time like the eagles hotel california uh, fleetwood max rumors it was very sort of it has that sort of laid back uh, smooth sort of feel to it as the album does um generally um another track from that album track 18 is thank you for the music it's a bit of an anomaly in the, in the sense that the song was not officially a single until after the group had unofficially split up, being used as a promotional tool for the release of a British compilation of the same name as this song, which was only issued months after the release of their double LP hits album, The First Ten Years. The release of the single came at a time when, as I've just said, ABBA's popularity was at its lowest since their pre-SOS years. Plus the fact it was already featured on the million-selling ABBA the album from five years before. It was on Greatest Hits Volume 2 from four years before. So even though it seems that the fact that it was a fan favourite and made it end up on this album on ABBA Gold as a single it only hit number 33 in the UK and that was in November 1983 um, now it's rare for a song that isn't a single to be so popular I can only think of acts like the Beatles and Oasis that really come to mind as acts who are so popular they're not even their non-singles are also well loved by the general public but of course it, it ended up being a single sort of in the end now yeah further proofs evident that uh, the song's popularity when the song manages to push the the cd of abergold to its limit uh, like 80 minutes when there were still numerous charting singles which were kept off this compilation most notably the number three single angel eyes the number five single summer night city and their lower charting tracks uh, sos honey honey and then we come to the last track waterloo so after the full start with their 1973 shot at eurovision glory the abba songwriting team of benny bjorn and stig anderson their manager they had another go and made it to the for real Eurovision the year after with this glam rock track. The song was performed at the Brighton Centre on the 6th of April 1974. And as we know, it went on to win the contest. However, what you may not know is that the country that would be the most loyal to the group in the end, the UK, had a jury that night which would award ABBA's entry nil point. The song shot to number one later in April and also made the Billboard Hot 100's top 10. It would be the it would only be in the top 75 in the UK for nine weeks though. Now after their win it would be another 18 months before they'd be back on top in the UK. 
In the meantime, the song's parent album of the same name crept into the lower rungs of the top 40, which was better than their previous album, Ring Ring, as it didn't even have a UK release until uh, 1992, when it was initially brought out just on CD. Uh, Now, the reason why Abba Gold came out in the first place was the record label uh, Polygram, had just bought Polar Records, which was the record label that Stig Anderson set up, and it's all the all, the, the 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 record company that all of the ABBA stuff was recorded and and done through. So initially, a box set was actually planned, but as popularity had dipped with ABBA over the the ten years leading up to this new uh, acquisition by Polygram of all of ABBA's material they thought well we'll test the water with a single disc collection first before bringing out an elaborate box set ultimately they're playing it safe resulted as i said at the start of this podcast with 30 million sales worldwide including 5 million in the uk and it helped generate a new legion of fans it spawned a thorough mining of the back catalogue which has included those numerous compilations the box set came out a couple of years later in the end in the form of thank you for the music uh all the remasters have come out over and over again you've got your theater production the one of the biggest movie franchises of all time and by the end of 2020, we're supposedly getting the first batch of new music from ABBA in 38 years, with the likelihood of a whole album being released in 2021, followed by the Avatars going on tour the year after. So actually, it was a very good idea that they did test the waters with this single disc. I mean, even ABBA Gold, it's been re-released in itself. Every time there's an opening of an envelope, someone thinks, hmm, now's a good excuse to re-release ABBA Gold. That's one I forgot to mention. I do have ABBA Gold on gold vinyl as well. That was brought out to celebrate the, I think, 45th anniversary of Waterloo, uh, the Waterloo victory. So they really will find any excuse to reissue the stuff and mugs like me go and buy them. Anyway, that's that's it for my Abergold podcast. Uh, I know I've waffled on a little bit, and this is an uncut podcast. I haven't edited it down or anything. And, and if you've still got to this point, uh, nearly an hour and 20 in, then well done to you. I didn't expect it to be this long at all. Um, but hopefully there's still someone at the end of this podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, what we're going to do in the future, we're going to uh, review other pop stuff um i've actually got a poster called the 100 albums bucket list and i'm going to go through that bucket bucket list and for the albums i've never heard before have a bit of a reaction session to it as part of the podcast i'll have uh, guest speakers um joining me as well um i'm getting that set up at the moment uh, i'm also going to do reviews like track by track reviews of abba's back catalogue in future podcasts as well i'm also looking at doing a similar sort of thing for queen but for now if you've enjoyed this then i would love it if you subscribed there'll be plenty more me waffling on about my thoughts about pop music in the episodes to come 
I've quite enjoyed doing this podcast and thank you so much for listening especially if you've got to the end of it as well without skipping as well Mm, yeah I'm watching and until next time thanks (laughs) bye for now bye